and um, I hear the first officer call out. And, and the first officer jumps on the radio and he screams, holy shit, the goat man. And I mean, it's just like everything went quiet. And my, I, I could hear the ringing in my ears and I could feel my heart race. And so I hit my life and I went flying up there. I'd been told by some old, older people, elders, that you grab them and you hold them and you, you, you don't own them, but you, you hold them there until daylight. If you can hold them or pull it in, pull them into the light, it uh, destroys anything they have, uh, any kind of power or anything that, or anything they were trying to do to you, it'll, it'll destroy them. This guy was like bouncing, like. You know, like how you, you see people kind of getting ready to jig? You know how they kind of bounce? Yeah, he was like that way. He was just kind of bouncing, and he was just kind of going back and forth and one foot to the other. And uh, and he just kind of turned sideways, and he turned back over to the other way, and and uh, he took off. Holy shit, he jumped in Wanda. Welcome back. You're listening to Lodge Tales, and I'm your host, Rod Williamson. I'd like to encourage everybody once again to share your stories with me. I've been getting a lot more engagement since I've decided to go on TikTok and post previews of the episodes. So I've been getting a lot more feedback and engagement with different people, you know, about these stories. And and uh, I think it's encouraging some folks to want to share more, which which is good for me. In the sense that I want more stories out, you know, following my little mission here of, of bringing our stories out to the world. I would like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to us, especially the patrons. They really, really help the podcast go a long ways, and I appreciate each and every one of you. All the listeners, I appreciate, you know, and... If you don't know how to become a member on Patreon, you just go to patreon.com, make yourself an account, and search for Lodge Tales. Then you go to the membership and select a tier. From what I understand, if you're trying to... One of my listeners said they couldn't get on, they couldn't become a member on one of the tiers. For some reason, I don't know why that is, but it wouldn't let me fix that because there's still members in that tier so I couldn't just basically delete it so it wouldn't throw that error code out to somebody but anyways you just go to the second one and subscribe there so that's kind of how you do it to get the bonus episodes of of Lodge Tales when you become a member you get one bonus episode a month Um, so after this this episode here The patron episode will be coming out and that'll be coming out tomorrow you know the day after this one here so in this episode i have my my wife she finally came on and i i had to do this one a little different what i wanted to do was two parts but i wanted to kind of keep them in order but what i ended up doing was taking the second part and releasing that for everyone this episode you're about to hear is for everyone and we're gonna make the first part of the interview the patron episode 
So, in this episode that we're doing tonight, um, we talk about UFOs and her experiences she's had with, with some of them. Also, she's had some time loss, and she talks about that. And it's weird because time loss has to do, you know, it's always a part of those UFOs and, and whatever they are, the Star Nation, the Star People, whatever they do, I don't know what that is. But they do make people lose time. We talk about that haunted house in Browning that we used to live at. It's my dad's house. It used to be my grandpa's. You know, it's a house that was built in the 60s, still there. Um, I didn't know we were going to do this part, and I debated. I sat here, and I thought about it, and I thought about it. You know, because my boy had a traumatic brain injury, and I didn't even think we were going to share that story. But there was a lot of interesting things that happened around that time. Spiritual things. And my wife goes into them, so I just follow her lead. And I, we shared our story with my boy. And, you know, I... I was hesitant to share at first because I thought it was too personal, but at the same time, I start thinking, well, what if other people went through this? What if this can help encourage people to keep their faith, their traditions? And I hope it does. So we shared that, and during that time, we talk about what my wife calls is an angel that visited her at that hospital. She doesn't know how else to call it. Good spirit, whatever. But she used the word angel at first. While we're talking about this, another subject came up, which we refer to as traveling. Other people will refer to it as astral projection or, or anything, you know, something like that. But where I'm from, on the Blackfeet, Reservation, we just call it traveling. And we talk about that, you know, kind of a lot about that. Then at the end, we start talking about her experiences, just some of them now, not all of them, just some of them, as she works as an assisted care um, provider at this facility. And the strange things that have happened on her shift she works the night shift I think they call it knock shift but she works the night shift and I wanted to have that on the podcast as well because the last story she tells about this doctor I think is a really powerful story and I think we'd all be better off if we've heard it There's many other stories she has, and if you want to hear more, her the rest, I should say the beginning of our interview is on Patreon. It will be on Patreon after this. So again, I appreciate everybody for being here and listening to us talk and share our stories. Um, go check us out over on TikTok. We got previews of it. Um, if you have people that haven't listened to the show, direct them toward TikTok. It's the same name, Lodge Tales, and they'll be able to 
listen to some of the previews of the shows. Uh, what I'm doing is putting out one preview a day until I'm all caught up with every episode. After that, I'll be putting out the previews as I as I record the episodes and edit them and, and get them published. So, my wife is born on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. She comes from a really traditional family called the Bullshoes. If anybody knows our tribe and is from Browning, you'll know who they are. And yeah, that's it. That that's my wife. The most beautiful person in the world. And she likes me. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> so let's get into her stories. We're just cutting right into them. Alright. Thank you. I remember, let's see, how old was I? Mary Jonam had just gotten their house built. I'm about 13 or 14. And for some reason, oh, all the kids were sick. And I was the only one who went to the after school program that day. So I was the only one to get off of the late bus. It was like 6 p.m. bus. And it was late towards summer, so the it was still daylight out, really warm. I got off the bus, and uh, I thought somebody was going to be there to pick me up, but no one was there. So I just started walking, and I was used to walking all by myself or with others. We all walked in a group most days, but I was by myself that day. My Auntie Mary Jo had just gotten her house built, and I remember... Walking past my Auntie Vi's and Uncle Shorty's house, I sat for a little bit on the bridge. I was like throwing rocks in the water. And then I was taking my time. It was a really nice day. And then I start walking up to the house, up to my grandpa's house. And uh, I just got up to Mary Jo's house and I heard like knocking on glass. And I looked over and there was a person in her, let's see, it would have been um, Galena's bedroom window at the time. Or would that have been Galena? No, Galena's window was, or her bedroom was the very back bedroom. Would that have been, I don't know what bedroom that would have been, but it was facing the road. And it was the one right underneath the um, kitchen window. Mm -hmm. that window and um i remember stopping and looking at it thinking oh and i i was just gonna wave and then i stopped because when i start looking i it was a person but they had their face smushed up against the window mm. and they were it was like their face was made of clay and the like harder they pushed against the window the flatter their face got mm. until it was just like a pancake and just eyes and like all flat and it was like really ugly and I was so scared and the dogs were like freaking out and barking and I remember I ran I ran all the way to my grandpa's house 
I told my grandpa what I saw and um, they went down there and I think when Mary Jo got home from work um, they didn't let any of those kids in that house they brought them up to my grandma's and we were sitting there and when Mary Jo got home she asked me well what did you see and I explained it to her and my grandpa's like you, you need to clean that house out before you let your kids in there and I remember when I cleaned their house out you know because my family uses willow sticks mm -hmm. and they said those willow sticks those willow sticks were just breaking. They would just snap and break. Mm. He's like, and it was all downstairs in that room where I'd seen that thing where they would break. <clears throat> he said, uh, did it say anything to you? My grandpa asked. I was like, no, it was inside the house. It knocked to get my attention. That's what got my attention. It was knocking on the window. I said, and I thought, oh, you know, it's the kids. I was like, but when I looked and I was going to wave, I said, it wasn't the kids. It was like whatever that person was. I said, I don't even think anybody was home. They said the doors were all locked. So Mary Jo said nobody should have been in that house. Jeez. But that was just things along the creek were always like just random things that would happen to all of us. Um, when we were having a family cookout, I think we had just branded that day or something. We were all at my grandpa's house, like how we all gathered. And there was a lot of us there. Um, so we all saw it. <laughs> but we saw something over my Auntie Cleo's house. Um, us kids were out on the back porch. And I remember Dustin being the one to tell everybody hey, there's something in the sky. And it was flying like around the coulee at first, like going up and down the coulee kind of quick. And then it stopped and it hovered over my Auntie Cleo's house. And nobody to this day knows what we saw, but it looked like those kids are saying how it resembled like a hot dog. But now that I look at it, you know that thing at MSU? That noodle yeah. thing, mm -hmm. it's silver, like kind of round. That's how it looked. It was silver. It was like almost iridescent. You know, like it moved a certain way. It like reflected. Like a like a macaroni. <laughs> yeah, but it was but like like how that thing looked over there. How they call it a noodle? Like mm -hmm. it was. It was weird, but yeah, that's what it looked like, and we all saw it. It was just probably less than a minute and then it was just gone and I remember they wouldn't let us kids play outside <laughs> after that we had to all stay inside but they went up there and there was nothing weird nothing out of the ordinary Cleo's house all their animals are there it was just weird okay. I don't even know what it was or what it was doing but I think that was the first time we ever seen anything like that. And uh, this was later on. We were coming from, where were we coming from? The lake in, we had just got done chasing cows. And it was me, my brother. Um, there was a lot of us young kids. We were all on horses and the older ones had gone ahead of us but they had said oh you guys just missed it but we think we saw it before they did 
it went over us first and then went that way but it was um like uh to me it reminded me of a like a bird like a metal bird that's what it reminded me of it had a weird shape but it wasn't like a helicopter or a plane and it was quiet but you could feel it when it went through the air it was like that like whoosh you know like the air moves when something goes through it mm -hmm. and we were on horses and the air that hit us was warm and it was just i mean it was low it it was low and it flew above us but what was weird is it didn't turn like how a car or airplanes have to turn to go in a direction it like was straight and then like would slide over and then go like that it was it didn't have to turn it's like mm. flew funny yeah anyway so it it would have come from my auntie mary joe's direction because it went over us and then it went it went like that over the ridge and then it would have gone up over towards my grandparents house but they all seen it and they said the same thing they said it was fast and then it was um well what i saw was like um from underneath was like it was just round but it had like um reminding me of a bird because like it i don't know how to like a top mm. you know those toys mm -hmm. like it had a, a like a went like a weird little space between the bottom and top and then it had like come out like a bird almost and went like cur or went sharp towards the front but it was smooth it's like real smooth like really thin and it was fast like it was how big was it freaking huge i mean oh my gosh like bigger than a plane like bigger uh let's see like maybe if it landed it would have took up like half a football field Ooh. like if i think about it like yeah. just from but from where i was at it was it looked big but i imagine it was even bigger than that but it but what i remember about it was no sound and the air underneath of it because it was cool that day but when it flew over us the air got warm like the air turned warm like the breeze that ate us was warm <laughs> yeah it was didn't make your horses act up or anything yeah they acted up did they mm -hmm. yeah they were freaking out how about that other time you, know, you were telling me that um, you had some missing time kind of happen to you over by Missoula? I was with, uh, this, there's a bunch of us. We were driving, it was college, and we were actually going to Missoula to drink at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and there was supposed to be like this big thing going on. Mustang Sally's hey <laughs> I mm. think that's what they called it um and we were going to Missoula and what do they call it nine pipe not you know that um like log house looking restaurant just 
right on side the road. It's like you, there's nothing, and then there's the restaurant, and there's nothing again. Mm. It's like almost by the bird reserve or whatever that's called. Everybody was pulling off there because there was something in the sky that night. And I wonder if Dustin probably remembers this because we were like all got out of the car and we're like, oh my God, look at that. And it was just like a swirl, like an actual swirl in the sky. It was lit up like daylight, like like actual daylight, but it, the swirl was green. Mm. And it got dark towards the middle. And, you know, to this day, I don't even know what that was or... If I remember right, it was something in the news the next day that we had like a meteor come through or something come through our atmosphere. But if you were lucky enough to see it, that's what it would have looked like. So I was like, oh, is that what we seen last night? Because <laughs> we were like trying to figure out what everybody Because there was like maybe nine cars pulled off the side of the road when we pulled off. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at it and it was huge. I mean, it was so big that it just lit up the sky like day. And I thought that, you know, and then we were like, well, you know, should we turn it? Because we almost thought, you know, should we turn around? Like, this is kind of freaky. Mm -hmm. And then we thought, oh, let's just keep going. That's the last thing I remember. I come to, we didn't even start drinking or anything. So I was sober. We were just getting ready to drive. There's nothing like really wrong. Mm -hmm. But I come to and I was getting sick by a trash can in Missoula, like hours and hours later. I can't recall. I, that's the last thing I remember was seeing that thing in the sky. Talking to them, seeing how cool it was. And wondering what it was. And feeling kind of funny. But that was it. I was like, oh, let's go. You know. But that, yeah, that's my last memory. And then coming to, and I was trying so hard to remember. They were like, oh, yeah, we got here. And they're like, you don't remember anything? I was like, I don't remember nothing. Like it was, it really freaked me out. And so I don't know what happened, like why I don't remember anything. Just blank. That's the last thing I remember. Come to, I can tell you what happens when I come to from then on. But I don't know what happened in between. Dustin them said I was with them. I didn't leave them. So they had eyes on me. I just don't remember any of it. And I wasn't drinking. So I don't know why I don't remember any of it. Weird. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what we saw. I don't know what we saw. It makes me wonder, like, did any other people that night parked along the road, like, anything weird happened to them, I wonder? Or if it was just us? Because if I remember right, Dustin said he got sick after. That happened. That we had to pull off some more before Missoula because he got really sick. So I don't know. like. But that thing was, like, basically shaped like a circle but it was swirling green it was swirling yeah it was swirling inward and it was green towards the center was dark like like a storm dark yeah and on the outside was so bright it was whitish like a whitish color and then around it was just lit up like daylight like blue sky like the sky was blue the mountains were lit up you could see everything didn't last long because then the lights start fading and it start going inward. So I don't know what we saw. Did but it, we weren't the only ones who saw it. Like 
people were just watching it. Did it fade into itself and kind of blink out of existence? Or did it fly away? How did I it, don't know because I don't it? remember that. <laughs> it was still there when I, my, like where my memory cuts off is we're looking at it. It was shrinking. I mean, the colors were going into the, like, like yeah, they were going inward. Mm -hmm. Like the brightness wasn't so bright anymore. And the brightness started to turn green, like a glowing green. So, yeah. So I was like, is that what it looks like when something comes into our atmosphere? <laughs> or what did we see? Like, did we see something else? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it was, it makes me wonder, like, what we saw that night. And the only ones who saw it were the people in the valley that night. I said it had just happened there where we were at. That would be... I'd be curious to know if anybody else had that too, like if mm -hmm. they had, you know, time they can account for. Yeah, I've heard, I've had some like crazy stories told to me. Like my Aunt Karen's not alive no more, but my mom knows that story really well where she was leaving Browning and she called my Uncle Max and my Uncle Max isn't alive either. Oh, but Caroline and Tammy are, they're her daughters. But um, she was coming out of Browning and where the sea store is now, she said they had just paved that road, just newly paved it. She said it was just a fresh paved road. She's like, everybody is all excited because Star School had a paved road. She said before that it used to be gravel. She said, so we were all excited that we had gotten our road finally paved and she said, um, it cut the time in half, too, because you didn't have to go so slow on a gravel. She said, and I called, and I told him, give me like 20, 25 minutes to make it home. I'm at that turnoff where the sea store's at. Mm -hmm. She said, but back then it was just the turnoff, they called it, and it goes out to Star School. That's where she stopped and made a phone call. We had relatives that lived off of there. She was dropping groceries off, I think, or something. But she called Max and said, I'm leaving. I'm on my way home. So they were expecting her. And it was like hours and hours, hours later, she never showed up. And they all started getting worried. She said because she turned down that road. And as she was driving, things started to disappear on her. Mm. She said she actually saw them just fading away. Like you said, fading out of existence. She said they just faded away. Like in front of her eyes, everything just disappeared to where she was on a gravel road with no houses anywhere. Like there was no civilization there, but the road. She said, so that's all. She's like, I was scared. I was really freaking frightened and freaked out but I thought if I just stay on this road this I know this road goes to star school just stay on this road she said I stayed on that road for 25 minutes and then she said she come to or she was driving and she said she thinks she passed out while she was driving and come to and her car was parked funny or something on the side of the road but she was at the bridge before you go into star school. Mm -hmm. And it was dark. And they were all looking for her. And mm. 
she doesn't remember it. So to to them, it was hours. To her, she said it had to have been about 25 minutes. The same amount of time, she said, I just don't know what happened. She's like, I, I don't know where I was. I don't know. She's like, I can't recall. After I start thinking about it, she's like, it would get fuzzier and fuzzier to where I couldn't even recall the things I had recalled before. She said, and it was just, she said, it almost, she's like, scared me so much that I was, she said, I wanted to forget it. But Max was like, when we'd ask Max about it, we'd say, Uncle, you know, tell us that it must have bothered him too because they looked for her for a long time. Even my mom and them, they remembered that. They're like, yeah, we don't know what the hell happened to this Karen. Like where she went, what she, you know, saw. Well, I, I do know my grandpa did something for her, like took care of her in a traditional way. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what she saw. Like, I'm really curious. I wish I could ask her. Because we didn't hear about it until we were older, you know, and they would talk about it. They would sit and visit and then they would talk about it, but it was like kind of quiet. Yeah. And then when we got older, you know, she passed away, so we couldn't like ask her about it. And then I didn't really talk to my Uncle Max, but I should ask Caroline and Tammy about it and see what they remember. Because I'm pretty sure there's more to the story than her, than her just you know because we couldn't find her they said they couldn't find her along the road anywhere but her version was she was driving that road she didn't quit driving it, even though it was just gravel she stayed on the road she, landscape stayed the same she knew she was going towards star school it was just nothing was there she's like it was the past she'd been like taken into the past Whoa. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That time. Missing time. That's it. You know, it's happened to my mom before, too. It's happened to my brother. It's happened to you. It's happened to quite a few people that... It's a, I don't know what it is, but it is a thing. It mm -hmm. does happen. Yeah. I believe it. I mean, there's just too much. The world's too big. So... The next kind of, I guess, subject I would like to get on is uh, my dad's house, the flood house in town. So, what comes to mind, the few stories that you remember about that place? The man in the kitchen. <laughs> that freaked me out. Or the, the toilet paper roll that hit Breezy that time and Punky. Okay, so... The man in the kitchen. That's the scariest of all the times I've ever been spooked in my life. That probably is on top because of he was intentionally trying to scare me, peeking at me like that. So we'd gone to a fight <laughs> <laughs> and I was laying on the couch and you were in that room and I was just angry. Like I didn't want to talk to you or didn't want to speak to you. And um, I remember you had to come out of the room and I was mad. So I was like my back to the living room and my face into the couch. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to just sleep. And I remember um, there was a little, so my back was to the couch 
and the couch was against the wall where the living room window was and that faced the kitchen the entryway into the kitchen by that entryway was the stove mm -hmm. so when the stove light was on you there was a little bit of light you could see and I remember hearing like like something being dragged across the kitchen floor that's what it sounded like like how you drag like a load of laundry in a plastic bag like that trash bag noise but you're dragging it mm -hmm. and that's what made me turn around was like what is that like it's just us in here what is that and I I remember rolling around and I was looking into the dark like trying to focus my eyes and looking into there's a little bit of light from that little kitchen light from the stove but I was looking and I couldn't see anything like in the entryway and then something caught my eye like to my left and it was fingers and they were fingers like coming from the side of the stove mm -hmm. you know and they were moving like just moving and then they would go back and disappear and that's when I was like sat out and I got stiff and then I start moving around on that couch I was thinking did I just see that like oh my gosh I was like am I getting spooked <laughs> and that's the first thing I thought of and I looked again I I like I don't know what made me look back there but I looked again and this time the fingers come back but I was a face I was like a man and he was like peeking at me from the stove mm. and it wasn't like on his hands and knees peeking at me because the fingers were like weird and he was peeking at me from like lower to the ground like mm. his head was below his hands yeah. and it was freaking me and that's what scared me that's what when I got up and I ran into the room and I was like you know Rod like something's out there and you didn't believe me at first mm -hmm. and then we went out there and when you flick those kitchen lights on all those cabinets and cupboards were open remember they were like everything was open mm -hmm. and they those were closed I know that those weren't open so that just happened and then there were other things wasn't there something else that happened no that night what happened was you came into that room and you didn't really say anything. You just came back and laid on that bed by me. And I was still mad. I still had fight in me. So I went in there and laid on the couch. That's right. Yeah. And you come out. I was, well, my side of the story is when I was laying there, I, same thing, had my back to the kitchen. And I started feeling something there. I knew there was something there, but I was just going to ignore it because I was still too mad. You know, still upset about whatever we were fighting about. <laughs> and I just laid there. But I thought to myself, well, if I get too freaked out, if I don't fall asleep in time, if I get too freaked out, I'll face it. So I know if something's coming toward me, I'll be at least facing it. It's kind of the thought I had in my mind. But just then, as I still lay in there, feeling that on my back, you come out and you stood stood by me and said Rod just please come to bed and the sound in your voice there was no more fight you weren't 
that made me think, made me snap out of it and want to protect you. Because I knew there was something wrong. And whatever we were fighting for didn't even matter at that point. I got up and I went in there with you. And you started telling me that there was a man peeking at you. And since I had that feeling, I knew there was something in there. That's when I got up with that smudge and I chased it out of there. And when I went into that kitchen, well, we turned the lights on, all that stuff was there. But I I went forward because I, I, I knew it was in that kitchen. I could, I don't know how else to say it, but I could feel it. It was right in front of me. But I couldn't see it, but I knew that feeling. I know that feeling. And it was right there. Anyways, I started pushing it, walking with that smudge and praying toward the kitchen further into it. And where it went, I mean, I could feel it. I don't know how else to describe it. It went out that corner. And that's where I, I stopped smudging was at the corner. And I come back in and nothing happened that night after that. Yeah, you got burnt. That was the next morning. Oh, was it? I want to say that was the, maybe the next morning or a couple mornings after. I got up and I was walking into the bathroom and I didn't just stumble, like trip. I was pushed. I got pushed into that furnace and it it burnt my skin off. I remember your dad was like, just ignore it. If you ignore it, they, they'll leave you alone. And that's when we were like, you know, I was like, Jimmy, do you get bothered? Do you know, does... And he just said, I just ignore it. That's all he kept saying is, don't pay attention to it. You know, but... He, did, he didn't like talking about him because... Because mm -hmm. they'd really bother him. They would, uh... They would sit in his room with him. And when he would drink, he would get so drunk, he didn't even know they were fake. That they weren't real. He'd be drinking right with them. They're alcohol spirits, you know. That's what's around that house. And they're really bad. They... All they want to do is take everything from you. Well, they're, the way it was described to me, too, by one of my friends was they're, uh, uh, they're kind of pitiful type spirits. They, they want you around them all the time. You know, they're really pitiful, I guess. And anyways, but they are bad. They will take. They just take, like take, attention. take. Like, they want to take everything from you. They want you. They want everything. They want you to be alone. They want you to lose everything. They want to see you, like, have you in despair with them. Take everything from you. Your family, your house, all your belongings, all your loved ones. They want you alone and isolated and hurting. And this was during Indian days. This was before we met. This was when Chase and Jim lived in the house. We, we used to all go up there like when we just needed a place to visit and we'd all hang out. We'd all head up to Chase and Jim's. Mm -hmm. And um, we were all sitting in there and there was, gosh, there was so many of us in that living room. There was like four long couches and then some recliners. All the couches were full. We had um, kitchen chairs pulled in there. We were all visiting and we were joking around. We were teasing those boys. They were sitting on the couch like adjacent to the bathroom and we were talking we were telling ghost stories and we were all really getting into it and just then like out of the blue a roll of toilet paper come flying out of the bathroom and hit punky in the head <laughs> and it rolled off and rolled into the middle of wherever we were all sitting there and it rolled into the middle of all of us 
and we were all looking we all looked up at punky and then he was like looking into the bathroom and he was like neck was stretched like he was trying to look at something and then he just jumped up and then breezing them that were sitting by him they didn't even know why he jump they just all moved with him and we were all like on one side the living room like scared of that roll of toilet paper <laughs> but we were sitting there and we closed the door or like okay nobody pay attention to it just let's just not acknowledge it we're just telling ghost stories maybe we should talk about something else you know so we were trying to change the subject and it was like talking about the powwow and what we were gonna do we went, I closed the bathroom door. I'm the one that got up, turned the light on. Nothing's in here. Closed the bathroom door. Okay, let's just, like, move on, you know. <laughs> so we were all sitting there again while the girls went to that side. But then Breezy was like, oh, I'll go sit, you know. Like, I'll sit by you guys. He's <laughs> like, go being all brave. And we were just visiting and we were laughing. We were, like, really laughing at something. And the second roll of toilet paper come out and this time hit breezy mm. and whole man at that time we just all jumped up and went into the kitchen because <laughs> we were like okay well, i was like i'm not closing that door this time like somebody else has to do it and this time it was like like the first one was like a playful toss no this one come out and freaking beamed him in the head like where his head went sideways <laughs> and it was like holy cow so we just jumped up and we all went in the kitchen and we're like yeah well uh, we're gonna head out Tracy and Jim <laughs> they're like no we're gonna go with you so we just all left you know and there was nothing going on we we're just visiting but things like that or when we had family gatherings there and uh we used to tell Sarah and them, we'll go in Tracy and Jim's room because they used to have your dad's bedroom. That mm -hmm. used to be Tracy and Jim's room. We'll go in there and just hang out and play. But yeah. Sarah, Sarah was, she was just small. She was about five. And she said, no, it's okay. I'll just, no, Sarah, go play in that room. Like, um, take all your toys and go in there and you can play and She's like, oh, and we're like, why don't you want to play in there, Cyrus? And she's like, because that old lady, she doesn't like me putting my toys on the bed. She makes me take them off and play on the floor. Or she, like, gets mad at me. And we're like, what? And she's like, yeah, there's an old lady in that room. And we were just, like, all quiet. And I'm like, uh, when do you see her? Like, every time you guys make me go play in her alone, she's in there. Like, does she sit with you? Does she get mad at you? Does like, no, she just sits in there with me. But she doesn't like me putting things on the bed. Or she gets mad. I was like, weird. I was like, okay, so we never let Sarah go back in that room. We we'd let her play out in the kitchen or something. That is crazy. Yeah. Cause my grandma, that was their room. When that that house was first built, it was after the flood, you know, and. What was that, 64, 65, somewhere in there, that flood. That's when they built those houses. So it was built in the 60s, and that was their room, my grandma and grandpa's room. And she was, you know, she was in the army. She was really meticulous. She didn't, she, her bed was always made like a hotel bed every day. It's never, never unkept. Nothing was unkept around her. She was really a tidy, organized lady. And she was, 
old school black feet you know how they're stripped mm -hmm. they today we would say oh they're getting mad at us no they're just strict they're making you behave and she didn't like her bed messed up like i couldn't go in there and just jump on her bed and you know i couldn't do that if i she used to sit in there and play solitaire cards like all day she not all day but when she was having break time because right across from her room was her sewing room where, where our room was that mm -hmm. was her sewing room but right in there is where she would play cards on that bed and i could go in there with her and sit on her lap but the minute i start messing up she would she would run me off you know she's not mean she was the kindest old lady ever and that's what sarah's like we asked her she was scary and she's like no she just doesn't like the her it was just like i can't put anything on the bed can't play on the bed can't put my toys on the bed like well, what if you try to sit on the bed she's like i can't even sit on the bed <laughs> yeah she was that's how she was yeah so we and you know we're like well but you know when she's like well it's an old lady we're just like okay well you don't get a play in there no more sirs yeah i wonder if that could have been her stopping in to check on things because Mm -hmm. You know, I, I fully believe she actually made it over and she's not stuck here. I don't either. Yeah. Because when I moved in there with Tracy and Jim to help them with Haley, and I was in that room that I was in when we met, mm -hmm. um, one night I was sleeping, and I, when you're in, like, between waking and sleeping, like, you're still can't tell if you're dreaming or not mm -hmm. um i thought i heard a woman come in my room how i knew it was a woman because of how she smelled she actually smelled like an old lady yeah. like how my grandma smelled mm -hmm. walked around my bedroom i heard her stop at my dresser and go through my pictures and my jewelry then go to this dresser and kind of dig around on my what was up on that dresser and then by the window and then walk back around and walk back out and the reason it didn't scare me because of how she smelled yeah. like it smelled like my grandma so I was just like oh she's looking for something almost like my grandma you know it was like really weird but then when I thought about it and start waking up I did wake myself up I could still smell it so I knew like I knew somebody had just come in that room and when I looked my things were moved on all of my dressers and on my stand. I don't put things how they were, they were all moved. So I was like, and my pictures were laid out. My pictures were stacked in a neat pile. They were just laid out all over my dresser. Like someone looked through them. Yeah, my grandma had, um, her dresser was like, again, all organized and meticulous. She had her perfumes stacked up in the it was weird well it was like a mirror but it had shelves on the side and that's where all her stuff was stacked she had uh her jewelry box just all her things were on that dresser and it was always really organized up there and uh you're saying like the same thing happened to me but it was out to medicine when after she passed she passed in 86 and after that i remember laying on that bed out there with because i I don't remember when the house was built out there in Timid, the new house, well, their house after the flood was built out there, but 
I remember laying on the bed. My grandpa had tried to wake me up because he was going down to that, you know, that church, that mission mm -hmm. church. He was really, he really got into to follow and to go into church after my grandma died. I remember that he was there every Sunday. So, anyways, he was leaving, or he had left, and I remember waking up, and I must have been around, you know. 11 o'clock because because I remember he was just getting ready to get back I was thinking my grandpa should be back pretty soon and as I what woke me up was I smelt my grandma I woke up and I smelt her and I started looking around like really looking for her because I knew she was there <laughs> and then I start crying but I knew she was there mm -hmm. and I, I quit crying oh this dog he just keeps <laughs> moaning and <laughs> Yeah. Well, anyways, um, I I smelt that. I got up. I start looking around. That's when I start kind of feeling bad, missing her. But um, my grandpa came back, and I told him. I said, "Hey, I said, Grandpa, I think Grandma was here." Oh, what? I said, yeah, I think Grandma was here. I could smell her in 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 this room. I could smell her. His oh, that's all he said. And he's kind of, you know, got that look on his face and like a serious look and we're in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I, that's one time I remember that too. It's similar to what you're saying. And it, she has a smell like an old lady. Mm -hmm. That old lady perfume, you yeah. know? Yeah. And my grandma mm -hmm. still uses it, whatever it is. <laughs> I think that's... Avon. Like it's Avon perfume. I've always imagined it was just a bottle called Old Lady. <laughs> they all bought it. <laughs> it smells the same. <laughs> but I remember talking to my grandpa like when things like that would happen. And he'd always tell like you hear a lot of ghost stories. He's like you're always going to hear ghost stories. He's like because of how traditional and how close we are to the spirit world. Like we acknowledge it and we we know it's there. Mm -hmm. He said and um a lot of other cultures, some forgot it's there or don't even acknowledge it anymore. He said, but it is, and I, and I often wonder, like, what, so, like, you have all these ghost stories, but what happened when I was in the hospital with Ibisuat? Like... So he got hurt and he got flown to Denver and we were in the ICU, children's ICU. And you know, there was like, it was sad. I mean, there were kids dying while we were there and it was, it puts you on edge and it doesn't help that all the rooms are glass. So you see everything going on. It's like no privacy almost you have to close your curtains but then they don't like them closed because you're being monitored so it's just like it's all open you know and it's sad you could hear people crying and it mm -hmm. just was really stressful and i remember being in there with Ipisuat, and we had just gotten there and the doctor saying okay the first three days the first 72 hours and the, the first 24 are crucial, but if he can make it 72 hours, then maybe he's out of the woods. We don't know, but that's a really good sign. 
And so I remember the first 24 hours were super stressful. I didn't eat. I didn't drink anything. My mind was just so worried about my boy. And I, I couldn't focus. And the doctors would come in and they talked to me and tell me all these things. And nothing was positive, you know. It was all real negative and that went on for two days and then the third night I remember sitting there and I remember just feeling hopeless and just like so stressed and like I didn't know what to do I couldn't help my boy I was so scared we were gonna lose him and then all the things they were saying had been kind of negative up to that point and then I had a feeling that the doctors weren't even telling me full the full scope of his injuries like they were just telling me what I needed to know and so I was getting frustrated at that point too and then I remember I was sitting there and it was raining outside and it was at night and I remember just I was staring out the window and a doctor came in and real professional, you know, I need to take his vitals, I need to check this, I need to check that. Just like all the doctors before. So I just kind of turned around, sat up, you know, watched him do his thing. And then he come over to my side of Ippy's bed and he's like, how's mama doing? And I was just like, oh, you know, like none of the doctors ever asked me that before, you know, like, cause he told me, how are you doing? like?" you know you're going through all this and you've just been by his side and you haven't left and I'm just wondering how are you doing and I was like I'm okay I was like I'm, I'm okay I was like I just want I just want them to tell me if he's gonna be okay like then I could relax then I could like he's like you know you need to eat he's like and you need to drink because when he gets better He's going to need you to be strong. And if you're not eating and you're not drinking, you're not staying strong as in healthy, taking care of yourself. And we're in ICU. He said, and if, if you come down with even the slightest sneeze or cold, they're going to make you leave. And you aren't even going to be able to be in here with your boy. So you need to eat and drink something. And I never thought about that. You know, like not being there for Ippies. Like, I was like, oh my God, he's right, you know. He's like, I'll have the nurse bring you something in. Or you can call and order something. He's like, um, but, you know, you have to take care of yourself. And then I was like, wait. I said, you just said when he gets better. And he looked at me. He's like, yeah. He's like, your son's going to get better. He's going to be fine. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, because they've been so careful about what they how they say it and what they say to me they're not saying he's gonna be better or he's gonna make it or he's out of the what you're the first doctor to come to me and and look me in the face and say he's gonna be okay I said and I hope you're right I hope you're not just saying that to make me feel better he's like oh no 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 he's like I would not say that he's like your son is gonna be fine he's gonna you know need a lot of things like rehab and um, tests to see 
what's going on in his brain. He said, but he's going to be okay. And I was like, oh. and so I was like, finally, like, oh God, finally, somebody told me he's going to make it. And I remember just feeling like relief and where I just wanted to cry. Like, I just felt so thankful. And he walked into the bathroom and I thought he was going in there because, you know, the doctors would wash their hands in there and then they would leave. Mm -hmm. I thought that's what he was going in to do. But what was funny was he closed the door. The other doctors didn't close the door, but he closed the door. And then just like a minute after he went into the bathroom, the nurse came in. <laughs> and I remember I was sitting there and I was just like feeling relieved. And she's like, how are you doing? And I asked her, could I order something to eat? And she looked surprised because that was probably the first time I'd eaten like in three days while I was there. And she's like, oh, yes. Yeah. You know, we got a um, 24 hour kitchen. She's like, you just tell me what you want and I'll get it ordered for you. And I kept glancing back at that door waiting for him to come out. And he never did come out. And she started taking his vitals. And I was like, do you need to take those twice? And she's like. What do you mean? And I told her, the doctor just took those. Do you need to take them twice? And she's like, what doctor? And I told her, oh, and I, I got up and I start walking towards the bathroom. And she just happened to be opening the bathroom because all of the um, sanitizing stuff were in her, like the gloves and stuff. And she was putting on gloves. And when she opened the door, it was empty. Mm. Like, and I didn't. I didn't tell her anything. I just dropped it after that. Like, what? Yeah. But I, you know, he was, the, the doctor that came in was so kind. And he looked over Ippy so thoroughly. And he was so professional. I didn't know he wasn't a doctor until he didn't come out of the bathroom. And then I, I realized he was like, he was like, to me, he was like an angel. I'd ever met an angel, saw an angel, that was the time. Because he was there to let me know Ippy was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And by letting me know he was okay, I was able to like take care of myself or my boy. Because I didn't even realize at that point that I wasn't doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and then the next day, what happens? Ippy comes out of his coma. Ippy wakes up. He lets me know he's okay. He holds my hand, and it's just like everything that doctor said, how he said Ippy was going to wake up, Ippy woke up like that. Like it was just like too much of a coincidence with <laughs> this bullet. <laughs> but yeah, that was, and I, you know, I tell my mom about that story all the time. Like, because my mom likes stories, you know, she likes things with angels and you know hearing things like that and she thinks she's like I think you you know if you believe in angels or good spirits because you got bad ones there's got to you know you got good ones I was like that was a good experience for me it was it was soothing I don't know how to explain it like I just something I needed and in that moment and that doctor gave it to me and then to realize it wasn't a doctor <laughs> like I know I talked to a ghost or a spirit that day and a good one after his accident so my boy 
Kippy, he fell out the window and he hit the concrete and he got a traumatic brain injury. Well, our boy. And they had to get flown out. They flew him out to to um, Denver Children's Hospital down there. But anyways, when he finally made it there, because they had to stop in Casper and do an emergency surgery, cut out a piece of his skull because his brain was swelling. And they had to relieve that that strain on his brain. Then he made it to Denver, and they still didn't know if he was going to make it or not. Well, I was home. I was with the other kids. We just had our baby Rose, and I was, and Bree was pretty small. He had our, our oldest daughter, and he used to play. He used to play in the kitchen on in this one spot. He would sit his set his stuff up, and he'd play there. He had little Nintendo and I think a little tablet too he'd play around on. Well at the time the news was still pretty grim. We didn't really know what direction it was gonna go. He didn't wake up yet. He was still they were still in the emergency part of it, the intensive care part of it. And uh I was talking to her and all of a sudden she said she had to go because it wasn't looking good and she hung up I was really worried so I was gonna start praying and just as I got up to light the smudge and call on all you know my helpers to I was just praying to any any to the Creator to to the Good Spirit everything I could and the game turned on by itself over there and so did the tablet I had everything off. There was only one kitchen light on and I was laying on the couch. Everything was off but it all turned on. There's no way it can turn on. Those things can't turn on like that. And it was at his spot. I got really scared. thought, well, oh geez, my boy is here and he's not down there. He needs to go back. His spirit's here. And it scared me because I thought he might you know be passing away so I really start praying start smudge I smudge that whole area and I was talking to him tell my boy you gotta go back mom's waiting for you down there you can't be here you have to go back and be with mom you gotta go back my boy and I just praying I just kept praying like that you know anyways I get a call back later from her an update and she said that well, he was, his his heart rate was going down, brain activity was going really low, but he come back out of it. And I really think at that time, my boy was traveling. He came back here, you know, whole state away. And he was, I don't know, but that, that really scared me that time. And there was a couple things like that that happened around my boy's injury, you know, that... I didn't know we were going to be sharing his story, but <laughs> it, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it's hard to kind of relive, but we're really lucky to have him. We really got lucky. He got lucky. But that comes into, like, well, our beliefs, mm -hmm. our 
<clears throat> traditional beliefs, you know, that we travel. Yeah. That we have ghosts, we have good, bad, we good ones and bad ones, but we also travel. Our spirits can travel. Mm -hmm. And we call those people travelers. Yeah. Like we know what they're called, we know what they are, and we know what they do. So, I mean, to us, those things aren't just like they're almost normal things to us, you know, because we've been raised in it and that type of culture and tradition. But when I try to explain that to some people, they don't understand it either. But what I told them is where when you said he was his heart was dropping that was when we were on the phone and he stiffened out like a board his body got so cold and then and then up until then he'd never done that like in all the things that happened that was new and so that kind of freaked me out and the doctors they couldn't explain they had no medical condition or terms to use to explain what was going on with Ippy like at that moment. All they could tell me was his vitals were dropping. Like, you know, the, the Russian doctors just come in. And I called Verge. And Verge was like, get a hold of Rod and tell Rod to call him back you guys need to call him back so it's like instinctively he knew what was going on but we didn't and he helped us like it all it all kind of come together but I wonder about that too like it be traveled like he's done it since then too mm -hmm. he's done it and I I I my boy's nonverbal and there are holy people that have told me and even elders that have said that Ippy's um what did they tell me he's uh um he's like oh, I can't remember that term they use it but it's it's actually in, in our language too but what it means is he's a miracle mm. he's our little warrior and he's here to teach us things but one of them said maybe because of all the things he's seen and and knows that him being nonverbal, you know and i often wonder about that because you know i watched a show on netflix where these people have near-death experiences and they come back and they're angry that they come back because they don't want to come back mm -hmm. okay when ippy came back when we lost him and he come back that's the only way I could describe it was Ippy was mad Ippy was mad that come back to this when there was something else and he couldn't explain that to me he couldn't verbalize that to me but I knew it like just in my heart in my pit of my stomach instinct told me like he doesn't want to be here. That made me sad. As a mom, you know, like being there with him, just seeing that struggle. And what changed it was when you guys showed up.
if he smiled for the first time. Yeah. And then I knew. I just knew right then and there, okay, everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And then those birds would show up. Those hawks and eagles would show up in Ippy's window. Of all the places <laughs> to come, you know, they were, they would show up at his window, land outside of his window, where, we, where I was taking pictures and filming them. And, you know, it's just like those are just signs to me like, okay, it's going to be okay. You know, like we're going to go home. Might be a long, long journey. But I told Ippy one day, my boy, well, we're going to go home. You know, and, and I would call my Uncle Verge all the time and ask for prayers. And I still think to this day that all those people praying, because we had so many people praying for Ippy, that prayers are powerful. Yeah. I, I will never, ever not say they aren't because of, of those things that we've been through. There are just some things like doctors can't explain. Nurses can't explain, we can't explain, that just happen. Mm -hmm. And I think those come from our prayers, asking for help too, because they, they kept telling me, you know, he's not going to make it. All, all I heard all the way to Denver until, and the things that happened, right? So when we landed, or when I, we lost Ippy twice in the airplane from bozeman to casper it was stressful that plane was that plane ride was so freaking stressful but what i remember is they are saying we're trying to get a hold of a doctor a neurosurgeon in casper and we're having a hard time getting a hold of him because he needs to go through surgery like now he's you know we don't know if he's going to make it to denver so our nearest place is Casper. Well, the neurosurgeon had just finished a surgery, was on his way, no, had got to the airport, was on his way going to the plane, you know, going down that ramp into the plane when he got the phone call. And he could have kept going, but he didn't. He turned around. He, like, just put what he was doing down and he just got off the airplane and came back to the hospital. And when he, when we were getting out of the ambulance at the hospital, he was just getting out of his taxi. It was like all perfect timing. Like right up to the moment when they took him in, he's like, if we would have wasted like even another second. Cause they said Ippy's blood clots like were the size of tennis balls. Mm -hmm. That's how big they were that they took out of his brain. And that's why it was swelling and why he was, why we had lost him was, was it because of those blood clots and he was able to remove them. And so it stabilized him, his vitals, everything. So the ride from Casper to Denver was like way more, not as tense because we knew he was stabilized. We just had to get him to Denver where like the specialty doctors were and yeah, so I think about all that, and I do. I think if he's a miracle, and if he could talk, he'd probably have stories, mm -hmm. you know, of what he saw, maybe. I don't know. But, yeah, I think that hospital, too, is special because there's people in there, and the energy is just a healing place, but, like, 
when we were talking, you wanted me to talk about where I work. <laughs> you know, you got healing places and then you got places of loss. And I work in one of those places and that's a whole different ball game. <laughs> mm. Like the type of experiences that I deal with in my workplace are, yeah, I... I don't know. I, I imagine that if there are doctors and nurses who deal with weird stuff in the hospital, they got to. And you hear about all the things back home. Mm -hmm. Like, I work in memory care. So, I work with hospice. So, end of life people who are, um, I'm a med tech, so I give the comfort care and comfort meds to the people who are on hospice and you know having that kind of being around that kind of energy makes you notice things everybody that works memory care that i work with even now will say that we don't talk about it but things happen you know when they're big things we'll talk about it we're like hey does this happen to you here? Because I think we need to reassure ourselves. Like, we're not the only ones getting bothered in there. But one night, so the probably the more disturbing thing I had happen was one night I chased, I well, I thought I was chasing a resident. Because we have a red-haired resident in memory care. And this woman that I was chasing was red hair. But none of our memory care patients move fast. They're in walkers or wheelchairs or shuffle, you know, like barely walk. So for her to get down a hall, out of sight, and in a bedroom, and jump in bed, and put herself in pajamas, and act like she's sleeping in the span of just a few minutes, isn't possible so that's how I knew <laughs> that I wasn't like I I was chasing something else that night and I felt it I felt it once I got around that corner like it felt heavy and all of a sudden like spooky mm -hmm. you know like it it didn't feel comforting anymore I felt on edge like what just happened what was that I went though just because I am in memory care I made sure every resident was okay I made sure they were all breathing they were all okay and I and the red-headed resident I had I went to her room first because I was like I'm just gonna make sure like just for my own peace of mind like, maybe messing with me who knows you know because mm -hmm. she's one of the more um independent memory care like she dresses herself she can eat but she just has problems with her memory not with her physical abilities but I've never seen her run you know so I didn't think she would run away from me mm -hmm. but she was in bed and that's why I say she was in pajamas and when I the woman I chased was in clothes so like jeans a sweater red hair but it looked like her you know so that's what confused me so I was like, she couldn't have got in this room, ran down this hall, got in this room, changed herself that fast, and got into bed and be asleep like that. 
there's just no way. So I went and made sure everybody was okay and everything was fine. And I was just like, okay, just gonna like turn the lights on and leave it at that. And then about two months later, I lost one of the hospice residents and he was one of the hospice residents that pretty much all the employees have bond bonded with. He was just one of those gentlemen who's really easy to get along with, real kind. And when he passed away, I think we all really felt it. But we were all sitting there and we were um, talking about him. And each resident has a pendant. And those pendants are connected to our system in the facility. So when they page, they push the button on the pendant, it automatically goes to our alarm, our phones that everybody carries. And he had been passed away for about three days, I want to say. They had moved him out of his room. All his stuff was gone. His pendant had been deactivated. Um, yeah, like he was just gone. And But this had been about, yeah, about three or four days after we were all sitting in memory care and it was knock shift and we got a, the alarm start going off. It was his pendant from his room. Ooh. And you have to go to his pendant to clear it off. So we were like, who's going to his room to see what the heck? Because his pendant was left in there, but it was deactivated. So we're like, Oh, let's all walk together. So three of us walked into his room. His pendant was in there and it wasn't even blinking red to show that it was being used. It was just going off on our phones. <clears throat> so we cleared it on our phones. We acknowledged it and we cleared it like we normally do. And then about not even 15, 20 minutes after that, it goes off again. This time we go in his room, all his lights are on and all his drawers are open. Mm. Yeah. And his little radio's playing. His little radio that he played all the time. It's just really low, but it's playing. And so like little things like that are always, always happening. And I bet if you were to talk to anybody that worked in a assisted living, skilled facility, memory care, there, I think it's just the energy that's there you know because they're all kind of end of life or you've had so many people pass away and sometimes we've had residents pass away just hours or days within each other in like a week we've had like I don't know five or six people pass away like it's a constant stream of loss in that place mm. and I think I think there's just that energy there don't know what it is and then weird things <laughs> like the weird things you can't explain and people that don't need people that are atheists and doctors and scientists they all come there and they're all like yeah uh can't explain that don't want to you know don't even want to think about it so we're just gonna put it store it in the back and forget about it you know, because they can't explain it. And I think it almost bothers them, some of those doctors that come there. Mm -hmm. Because there are things, will happen in like day, broad daylight, middle of the day things. So 
I'm like, yeah. And then, like, at night, no, that's why nobody will work knock. With me, I smudge when I go there and when I leave. Like, I carry things, sweet grass, when I'm in there, you know, because I just, my grandma's told me how to clean, cleanse myself when I leave there after somebody dies on my watch, like, that I have to handle because I do have to handle their bodies and you know I like deal with her families and stuff so she's just always telling me you know you don't want to carry that stuff home with you mm -hmm. just cleanse yourself before you go home because I remember you coming home one night being freaked out about a a doll that this lady used to leave outside of her room oh my gosh that doll moved it it kept moving through the night and I'm the only one on the floor. The only one on the floor. And it actually moved as I was walking towards it. I had, because I thought, it's one of those dolls, like, if you lay it down, its eyes closed. And you sit it up and its eyes open. Mm -hmm. And it was sitting up, but its eyes were closed. And I was like, look, getting close to it. And then it opened its eyes really slowly and it put its arm down on its lap. In the chair it was sitting in by her door <laughs> and that just oh my gosh I will I yeah and I was so bothered by it and like when I would go down that way I would cover it up I'd cover that doll up and on my shift mm -hmm. I didn't want to look at it <laughs> every Ooh. night I would make it a point to go down there and turn it around or put it behind her other because she's always decorating really cool things outside of her door mm -hmm. but that doll was always there and you know what come to find out that doll wasn't even hers what? when she passed away her family took everything and that doll was still sitting outside of her room and we were all like why didn't they take the freaky doll because i it didn't just happen with me there are other people that say that doll moves and we're like, why didn't they take the doll? And they're like, no, they said that wasn't her doll. And we're like, okay, that doll needs to go. So we threw the doll away. Whoa. Yeah. So we don't even know whose doll that was. And it was in front of her room the whole time she lived there. That's why we thought it was hers. And what if it shows back up? It hasn't. <laughs> oh, my God. I'd freak the... Oh my god, uh, I would quit. <laughs> I would quit and I'd be like, bye. Oh, uh -uh. Don't pay me enough to stay there. Or I'd just go to day shift. Yeah. You know, like I wouldn't want to work the night when it's just you on the floor. It's scary. It's quiet. It's, you notice everything. But if I had more people on the floor with me and like at night, I'm so glad when there's five people, when I have five girls with me. Because mm -hmm. if I, if one of us gets bothered, we all get bothered, you know, yeah. it's not just one of us. Yeah. And we all are there for each other. Like we're all very in sync with each other. We know, we know the place now. Mm -hmm. And even the ones that don't believe, you know, they end up believing <laughs> at some point because it's just weird. I don't know what it is. It's the place you work in, I guess. And that building, we all talk about it. The building's fairly new. It's like five years old. Mm -hmm. But the amount of death that's been in there would make sense why, like, there's so much things that happen, or why just random weird things happen. 
Because you can't explain a lot of them. Yeah. Jeez, the other story you told me too is pretty freaky. When you said there's no way that your one client couldn't be right there in that window staring at you. That was the redhead. That was the same one? Yeah, that's why I chased her. Oh, no, you're taught. Oh, okay. That That's where, when I peeked up, she was in the window. Yeah. Okay. No, but the same happened with the redheaded. She was up in the window and turned really fast and start walking away. And I was like, oh, no, one of them are up. Like, mm. you know, because... It wasn't even spooky at that point. It's like, oh, geez, one of them woke up. I got to get him back to bed. Mm -hmm. But when she ran from me, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> she just ran from me and cut the corner. So I took off after her. But when I cut the corner, gone. Great. Yeah. And it couldn't happen that fast. But this was different. So this one is bed bound. Mm -hmm. She can't even walk, really. I don't know how to say it. If she did walk, it was like at a shuffle. Mm -hmm. And it would have took her hours just to get down a hall. That's how her shuffle was. Like, just barely yeah. going, you know? Like, snail pace. And I got up. And I was like... So our, our, my office where I sit is um, glass on three different sides. So we're meant to, it's meant to give us um, visual sights of all the residents' rooms mm -hmm. from the office because it's memory care. So you're supposed to really have, you're supposed to be able to put your eyesight on somebody, mm -hmm. you know, or even their room anyway. So that's, and the um, office is in the middle of memory care. So you have, so then you have like these L-shaped halls, little tiny halls around that go into the bigger halls where their rooms are. Mm -hmm. Okay, so she would have had to go from my office. It's probably about five feet to the hall and then probably about another 20 feet that hall. And then the big hall there's like probably about eight apartments that she would have had to go by. And there's just no way she could have done that. Like, no freaking way that she could have moved, cleared her, stood in front of my office door window like that, me get up and her back in her room and in less than a minute maybe a minute she was in there I don't know how she did it I, I don't I I don't know how she did it like that was her mm -hmm. <laughs> I know I saw her she was just staring right at right at me through the door window and she turned around and headed out and I was like oh I get it. Like, and that's the first thing I thought was, oh my God, it's going to take me forever to get her back to her room. When I got out there and it was like empty, every hall I turned empty. In. I'm like, what the heck? Where did she go? And I went, so I was like, went straight to her apartment and she was in there. 
I was just like... Is she awake? Yeah, she was sitting at the edge of her bed. Her tennis shoes are always at the other side of the, the room, because that's always where we undress her. They're by her wheelchair, always on the side of her wheelchair, up against the wall. She had her tennis shoes on, but she was in bed, and I do two-hour checks on her, so I know she was in bed. And she's, she's full assist. She cannot even get herself sitting up and sitting to the edge of the bed. There's no way she could have went over and got her shoes and put them on herself. Like, yeah. Me. Like, it just, some things you just... It, does that stuff happen? Often. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. happen a lot. And I don't tell you guys about a lot of it because I just, like, oh well. Yeah. But it's gotten to the point where <clears throat> we know, like, we, the people that have been there long, kind of see, like, phases almost. Mm -hmm. Like, certain time of the year, it's worse. Or around certain deaths, it's worse. Or when one passes away, they all go in threes. It's really weird. Like, you don't just lose one resident. They go in, like, groups. Mm -hmm. And then weird little things will happen in their passing. Just little things, but... You know, the big things we all talk about because it's, like, really hard to ignore. I imagine a lot of them are kind of... I guess this is what I always wonder. I wonder about those people that don't have a belief system in place about the afterlife or anything like that. I would think, you know, when you're getting close to that time... You're going to wonder. You're going to want to know. Do they ever ask you things like that? Are they ever afraid? And I mean, I know they're afraid. That kind of goes without mm -hmm. saying. But I'm curious how, how do they act? What do they say, the ones that, are, that don't have those beliefs there? I, so I took care of a doctor. He was like that an atheist mm -hmm. but in his final moments he was scared he was he was scared but he was like he was I don't know how to put it like he was scared that this was it I think and he, he, had, he wished that there was something more. And when we would sit and talk, you know, because um, he knew I was really superstitious. And we talked about things all the time. Like, I would always challenge his science views with my spiritual views. Mm -hmm. He was really cool like that. I really enjoyed. And he was sharp. Like, he was a doctor in life, so he's mind... He wasn't. He wasn't in memory care either. He was just in assisted living because of his physical. His mind was all there. His body was what was shutting down. Was getting old, mm -hmm. and so. But we would sit there and we would have like deep, deep conversations, where his science. You know, we'd get going with his science, and then we'd talk about like me growing up on the reservation and my spiritual beliefs and. Towards the end, I do remember him getting a really, really curious about what we thought happened after we died. Mm 
because he his his parents weren't American but I want to say his mom was some kind of Italian religion mm -hmm. but it wasn't Catholic or Christian it was like a, a, I've never heard it before but it was she was from um, Italy and then his dad was a Catholic but growing up he said he just had a scientific mind it wasn't really you know like a religious mind he said mm -hmm. <laughs> but um he said as a doctor through his life there were stories he would tell me that he said he he couldn't explain he couldn't chalk it up to science it was one of those things where he's like western medicine mm. and knowledge it, it only goes so far before something else takes over he's like i know that's true he's like um i've seen things i can't explain in operating room or in recoveries or with patients or just he's like random things that don't jive with science <laughs> he's like but he said as i get closer to my own he's like death he's like i do wonder if there is something afterwards and i told him why why would you not think there is I was like, what, what's your whole explanation from that? You're, go you're going to die and that's it, lights out and that, that's it. He said, well, he's like, just the life I've lived. He's like, I, I've, I've seen a few things that might, he's like, maybe persuade me to think otherwise. He's like, but my scientific and how I think just won't allow me to think like scientifically how are you gonna say you know mm -hmm. we die he's like there's nothing left of us I was like but there is I was, and that's where we would always our conversations would always get but in the end he was more like tell me this story Amber like can you tell me that story about you know this or that or but they were more like spiritual things and I was like can you let me know he if you make it over there this was after he passed away because one of the caregivers that when he passed away they were left with me and um she's like should we say something like a prayer or, you know she's like i know it's the doctor but you know because she was really religious she's like i would feel better if we said like a small prayer so i said go ahead so she said her small prayer and then I just remember telling him, <laughs> you know, when you get on that side, send me a sign that there is something, that you found it. And I just left it at that. And then it was like four days, no, four weeks later, oh, four or five weeks later, <clears throat> they had just moved somebody into his room. We'd lost his pendant. Couldn't find his pendant, like, anywhere. And I kept getting his pendant thing. And it was it was his pendant going off. And it would go to my phone. And I thought that was weird. Because it had been so long. You know, like, where did... And then his pendant... Okay, so his family cleaned his room out. The night 
he left his pendant when they put him in those bags that they take him out with his pendant was in that bag I don't know if it got um what is that called um cremated with him mm -hmm. because they he said whatever is on him when they take him is what goes into the crematory with them so I assumed his pendant got cremated I ended up in my laptop bag what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah I still have it I still have it to this day I don't know what to do with it I just think that was his sign <laughs> saying yeah. I made it after <laughs> you were right <laughs> So I like I have my own explanations. I don't know what someone else would think, but you know, I I choose to be like he just let me know he's okay. You know, I've always been curious about you know because we have such a deep spiritual belief, and I've been curious about the other ones. Well, that don't have that. Like what? I I can only imagine from my point of view and. I think even if they don't have that religious belief or even if they're atheists and they don't think it doesn't matter because it's there yeah. and they go to it anyway. It's kind of what I'm getting at the whole there are no atheists in foxholes. When something really starts happening, boy, you're going to pray. You're going to find that spiritual And even side. if they don't believe in a God or an afterlife, when they do pass on, like he did, right? He didn't believe in it, but how do you explain what happened afterwards mm -hmm. and me telling you know that was like my curiosity was just like you were so set on thinking there's nothing out but if there is let me know you know show me you found it that you're good and to have that happen that made me feel good it made me actually laugh and smile when i found his pendant I'm like <laughs> oh my gosh okay because i was there when it was put in there i, I was the one who like you know, had to put the body in the bag that night with the coroner, me and the other girl. Because mm -hmm. that's, like, part of our job. If there's nobody there to help, we're the ones that that do that. Clean them off. We give them their last bath. Mm -hmm. They make sure they're in the clothes that their families left. When they're that close, most families will pick out their clothes. So if they're not there, we dress them. Mm -hmm. And then that's what they're cremated in or that's what they're buried in. So, I mean, we... Yeah, but I remember that being in there with him. And I, d I don't think anybody took it out because it zipped up and they took him, you know? So I was yeah. like, there's just no explaining how. And I know it's his because he carved in his initials in his pendant so he wouldn't lose it. So, I mean, like, it, and he always had this little green sticker on them, and that green sticker was on it. <laughs> so I was like, okay. He's good. That was my whole thing was he's good. Yep, that was my wife. It was Amber. And all of the, some of the strange things that have happened in her life. I'm really happy that she shared with us. It means a lot to me and I'm glad to get this out. I know it's a long episode, but I think it needed to be put out like this. So, the patron episode is going to cover... Uh, her experience with Bigfoot. Also her earliest paranormal experience, among other things. So, 
if you want to hear those stories, so just a little preview of her, her Bigfoot story. She was actually chased by one. And she goes into a detailed account of what happened during that time. I would encourage everyone to listen. It's a really good story. And I would love to put it out for everyone to listen to, but it just so happens that the next episode out needs to be a patron one in my little schedule here. So that's where you can find it. And thank you for being here. Thank you for wanting to listen. And until next time. Thank you.